chapter 1. So uh, let me do just a quick review. We'll, we'll start with, let me just start reading in verse 3. And uh, we'll kind of just read through what Paul is saying and uh, highlight some things. And then we'll get back into uh, kind of breaking down some of the verses we've been looking at. So Paul says in verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the message of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's grace in the truth. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. He is a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason, also since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son he loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, in him. So over the past several weeks, the main focus that we have been looking at here uh, is Paul's prayer as he prays for the Colossians. He says that he is, uh, has not stopped praying for them. Uh, he has heard of their faith. Again, he prays for them on a regular basis. This doesn't mean he prays every single day, but he does pray for them on a regular basis. And then you see what he is praying for. Again, he's praying that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Again, the word filled there carries the idea of being filled to the brim uh, so that there's nothing lacking. So he doesn't want there to be any lacking in their understanding of God's will. And he wants them to have the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So it's just another way of him um, uh, expressing that he wants them to have this solid spiritual insight to life, to what God wants us to do, and the things that God has communicated to us. He prays these things for them so that they may have a walk that is worthy of the Lord. The idea being that we are Christians, we bear the name of Christ. Um, so again, this is clearly not the idea that we're trying to become worthy of the Lord to earn our salvation. But because we bear his name, because he saved us by his grace, then the idea is, is that as we live life, the daily life that we live, uh, doing the normal things that we do, uh, the idea is that we live that in a way uh, that is worthy, uh, that will reflect well on who God is, on who Christ is. And that would then be a life that is fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. So it goes right back to what he said before, adding that we bear every good fruit, or that we bear fruit in every good work. And so he means that really in the broadest sense possible, that we are doing good, we're being kind to others. Uh, the life of the Spirit of God is seen in us, seen primarily in our actions, the way we treat people, uh, the things that we seek to do. And then, of course, he adds in, once again, the idea of growing in the knowledge of God. And growing in the knowledge of God uh, is, again, both gaining a greater intellectual understanding of who God is, but
but along with that, that we are experiencing who God is. So, and the idea with that is that, you know, as we've mentioned before, you read of the comfort of God, we experience the comfort of God. Uh, we, we talk about asking the Lord to answer prayer, and we experience God answering prayer. So we are experiencing um, God in that way, and that's the idea here of growing uh, in that way. Then he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So again, he wants them to be strengthened by God. Obviously, he's talking about spiritual strength, the strength that we need to live in obedience to what God has said, uh, to live in his strength so that we can do the good works that God has laid out before us. That's the idea that is there, that we're going to have the strength that we need to ensure that we will carry on the same kinds of attitudes that God wants us to have, uh, that again, our life then in every facet um, is um, speaking well of God, and we do so with endurance and patience, meaning regardless of the trials and tribulations we may face either collectively as Christians or individually as a Christian or individually just as a human being living in a world that is cursed by sin, the idea is that our character or who we are in Christ remains unchanged in light of all this pressure. Uh, so we don't, you know, we don't become uh, irritable. We don't become another person when, when there's extra stress in our life. Uh, again, oftentimes you hear people will say things because maybe a doctor has said to them uh, that um, they're having this problem or that problem because of stress. And I think that we need to be a little more exact with our understanding of that. So stress normally isn't the problem. It's the way we handle stress. That's the issue. You, we have to have stress in life or you, don't even, you, know, you can't even exist. So the idea then is, is stress is not the problem. It's the way we respond to it. And so uh, as he talks about these things, the idea is that we are growing in the strength that God gives us so that we then can manage the stress in a right way. Um, now there are times in our life when there is more stress than others, and it may be more exhausting because of whatever's going on. That does happen. We are human beings, and there are times that we need maybe greater help from the Lord, or the Lord will supply help through his people. That happens a great deal of time. You know, uh, again, that's, that's what the body's for. When we do simple things, like, you know, someone, again, someone has a baby, we make food for them. There's more stress in their life for that period of time. We're coming along to help them to carry that burden. You know, the stress for them is still there, but now we're helping them to handle it. Um, so there's that idea that we want to help each other be aware of those types of things. But along with that, whether there's help or not, um, I think there's an expectation from God that we handle that the right way. Often, that is where I get the most angry to my, towards myself is when I recognize that I'm not handling stress well. I get really, I get really upset with myself. Um, you don't want to be around me because I, I sound really harsh. I call myself names. <laughs> Stupid idiot, moron, you know, were you born last Tuesday? You know, whatever it happens to be. But that's just, that's, just, that's just how I am with myself, and that's just the way that it is. But it is upsetting because I know there's no reason for that. And usually I'm, I regret being whether I'm short-tempered somebody or irritable or what have you, uh, because I know that's just not reflecting well on Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we want to pretend that there's no stress in our life. We don't want to pretend that, right? but we do want to handle it well. Uh, and again, part of that is, is so that um, 
when others see that, if they do say something, if it's something that they recognize, we just want to make uh, sure that we are giving the glory to God. If someone says, man, I know you've been going through a hard time and you seem to be handling it really well. You can say thank you and then say, you know, the Lord really has been holding me up. You know, I've been learning more about how to depend upon him. You know, we're not trying to steal God's glory. Uh, we want to make sure that we're giving him uh, the credit um, that he so rightly deserves for whatever it is that we're able to do or whatever is we're able to handle. So looking once again at verse 13 and 14 of Colossians 1, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll once again kind of go through some uh, definitions of the words to try to uh, fill in or maybe unpack uh, the, the uh, a, when I say a deeper meaning from the passage, always remember that as believers, that when we seek to get a deeper meaning of the scripture, we're not looking for an alternative meaning. That's where sometimes Christians can get in trouble. They say they go to a Bible study and they say, wow, the pastor goes really, really deep. I've heard that before and I've listened at times to a recording of maybe that Bible study and I can see how they got the idea that the pastor went really deep because he was getting things that they had never seen before. And that's because those things aren't there. They're not in the passage. You know, he might be, and he might even be saying things that are true or right, but it's not there. And so we, we want to make sure that we're careful in, in how we uh, explain the scripture. And if we're going to delve into an area that we may feel that we really need to get into, but it's not in the text, we should, some, we should let people know. You know, say, well, a little rabbit trail, whatever it is, some, some idea, um, because, we, because we don't want people to get the idea that um, if they don't have a minister, they can't study the deep things of God. And I'll be honest, there's been times in the past where some pastors, they like that. They kind of want people to think that if they're not there, you can't go very deep. Therefore, you always need them. Okay, that's the way the world thinks. Uh, the idea is, is that we want everyone to be able to feed themselves. That never means that a pastor's out of a job, so to speak. Uh, but we just want to make sure that we're not basing our security uh, uh, on the flesh. We're not trying to manipulate anybody in these kinds of things. Uh, the idea is, is for everyone to kind of come along and grow deeper and, and uh, in essence, not even need us as much in that way. Um, and so, uh, so again, as we get into the words, the meaning, maybe sometimes the Greek, uh, all those things are done to help us to understand the point that's being made and to give us a fuller understanding. So it says in verse uh, 13 that he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. This is what God has done for us in salvation. So the word deliverance uh, is in the aorist tense. I think that's in your notes, uh, meaning it's a past completed act. So... Uh, you may have heard believers say, heard a preacher say sometimes that we are no longer under the power of sin. So we know we do sin, but we're not under the power of sin. This is one of those passages that we get that from. That's what it says. Uh, we've been delivered. Um, now we are being delivered from, from temptation as we depend upon the Lord. But when it comes to the power of sin, a, a Christian is no longer a person who has to sin. Remember that when you're a non-believer, you have to sin. You, you, you are unable to do anything that's not sinful. That is an impossibility. Um, 
you, you have your spiritual nature, you're dead in your sin. Everything you do, you're doing in a sense in rebellion to God, even the good that you do. Right? The good that you do, you're doing it in the flesh. You're always ignoring God. You're living your life as if God doesn't exist. So you are basically expressing you don't need him. I don't need God to do good. I don't need God to be, I don't need God to be, to be good. Um, and so the idea then is that we've been delivered from the power of sin. Uh, Romans 6 deals a lot with that. And the idea with that then is that when you and I sin, and this is actually not good news. I don't think it's good news. Um, and that is, is that whenever you and I sin, we always sin because we choose to. If it's, I mean, it just puts the full uh, bore of, uh, and weight of the responsibility on us. I don't feel like I'm choosing to. But according to the scripture, I, since I don't have to sin, that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, and so um, it, it can be quite a blow. But the good news is, is that we have been delivered from the power of sin. And that is great. Um, and again, this is, as I mentioned last week, this is also in what's called the middle voice. And so what that conveys to us is that this truth of being delivered is God is the one who initiated this rescue operation. God recognized this need we had. We were enslaved to sin. We were under the power of sin. And so he then moved to deliver us from that. Uh, and so none of this then is dependent upon us. So this is great news. I know I've been delivered. Um, even if you and I struggle greatly with temptation, uh, remember that you and I have been delivered from the power of sin. We, we can do better. In the power of God, we can do better. In the power of God, we can improve. We can become more holy. We can become more righteous. We can become more patient. We can become more whatever, whatever that, those things are that we need to do. But, so we know then that the power of sin is not going to hold us back. Um, our main problem is usually the flesh. And, uh, uh, and so that's an important point for us to remember. So, again, we could paraphrase this verse as saying, God himself has rescued us. Now, also what that does is reinforce this love that God has for us. Uh, Romans says that while we were yet sinners, uh, God demonstrated his love for us. So he not only demonstrated his love for us when he sent Christ, but what Christ did for us was a demonstration of God's love. He then himself rescued us because he is good and he is loving. And so that's reinforced with all of this. So this deliverance then points, again, for all of us to the moment of salvation. When we came to Christ, we were rescued by God from sin and from death. Uh, when he died in our place, uh, and that credit was placed on our account the moment we first believed the gospel. Uh, and so that is good news, obviously, and good news regardless of the sin in the life of a person. Uh, so it doesn't matter if the individual is basically what we might consider moral, or if that individual is involved in selling drugs because he's part of a drug cartel. None of that matters. Uh, God is able to completely deliver us uh, from sin uh, and from the power of sin. So we are able to break free from that. So again, as we know, we, that means we did not rescue ourselves from eternal destruction. God did that. God did only what he could do uh, uh, for that. And so as a result of that, we then recognize that we should be grateful um, to God for what he's done. It also says there in, in that uh, verse is not only that he's delivered us then from the domain of darkness, but also he's transferred us 
to the kingdom of his beloved son. Uh, so there's many aspects, many, many facets of our salvation. So this transferring or transference that we're talking about, it's a simple word that means to move from one place to another. Uh, it would be a change in someone's official position. It means to remove or dismiss. Um, uh, figuratively, it's used to, where someone is caused to change size, either mentally or spiritually, uh, uh, by bringing in a different view. Um, it can be used in a bad sense to, to mean that someone was turned away or misled to go in the wrong direction. Uh, the Greek word there is methistemi, uh, which is, which again is a word that's, that was used to signify deportation of men or a removal to form a colony. Uh, we've mentioned before that um, during the times, uh, Old Testament times, and even in early New, New Testament times, uh, that was a very common thing that a conquering nation would do, is they would come in and when they would conquer the army of a, uh, of a country, they would then move in and they would then take the residents of that country and move them. And they would take them and basically displace them somewhere else. And then bring in people from another place they had conquered and bring them there to live there. And then maybe some more people from another place that they had conquered and bring them in. The reason why they did that was they were trying to erase, uh, in the mind of the people, this identification with the land. See, if, they, if they're still living on their land, their, the land of their ancestors, then you always have this future possibility of some individual rising up saying, this is our land. Our forefathers were buried here. Who are these Romans? If it's, if it's Rome, who are these Romans? You know, they're foreigners. They've come into our place. We need to take this place back. And so they, you know, it's the story. They start to put together an army and try to overthrow whoever's come against them. So this displacing was a way uh, to make sure that land was being used, growing crops, etc., cetera. Um, but at the same time, uh, trying to get rid of that type of thing, you know, that, that identity with the land. And so that's really, that's what that word means. Uh, so it's a very dramatic word. Um, so this isn't where someone just kind of shifts position slightly. Um, it's a very dramatic type of thing. Um, so again, um, for the Colossians, that word may have had special meaning for them because in their history, Antiochus the Great uh, transferred 2,000 Jews from Babylon to Colossae. They practiced the same thing. There's a bunch of, uh, of um, uh, Jews in, Col in Colossae, and they know their history. That's, that's where they came from. So again, as I mentioned before, that was a very common thing they would do in those days, and that's the word that's used here by Paul. So four things I have in your notes there about what all this is what all this is, is uh, meant by this transferring, what's going on. Number one, uh, it's a transference from darkness to light. In other words, the idea is without God, we know that men struggle. Uh, they grope and stumble in darkness. Um, they, don't know, they don't know what to do. They don't know where they're going. Life is lived in the shadows, in the shadows of doubt, uh, in the darkness of ignorance. Um, there was a man named... Uh, uh, Bilney, when he was martyred, uh, the martyr read that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He said that it was like the dawn breaking on a dark night. In Jesus Christ, God has given us a light by which to live by and by which to die. So this idea then is that we know in the Bible that whenever you have this metaphorically light and darkness, it deals with spiritual understanding. 
so that Christ is the light. He gives us spiritual understanding. We understand our state. We understand what God has done for us. When you're in darkness, that means you can't see clearly because you're in darkness. Um, and so you're unable to understand things spiritually. So being transferred then means we've been transferred to the kingdom of light to understanding. Yes, ma'am. That happens at justification. All right, so at justification, you know, that's the word we use for our, at our initial salvation. And many things happen at that point in time. And there's a lot of ways to illustrate it. Um, and so being, this transference is one of those aspects of justification. <coughs> uh, secondly, or letter B, um, uh, this transference, it, it means a transference from slavery to freedom. That kind of... Uh, Terminology is used a lot in the Bible. We've already we just mentioned it before. The idea of being enslaved to something. So we were enslaved to sin, and we've been set free uh, by God. Christ paid the uh, the ransom price. We've been redeemed from the marketplace of sin, and I'm now free. Uh, I'm no longer dominated by the power of sin. Uh, I no longer have to sin. Um, God. It's interesting that God has created us as human beings with a, an ability to be able to choose against our nature. Okay, now that's been corrupted by sin, but we have the ability to choose against our nature. What I mean by that is, a uh, simple example would be this. One person gets angry at another, you feel like hitting them, but you don't. So hitting them might be the natural response. You have the ability to not do that. Okay, and we... And we telling people that we hold them responsible for what they, what, choose to do. They didn't have to do that. Uh, when, uh, when you see these videos where uh, a man's working with a lion and he puts his head in its mouth, or like the one I've seen where an individual will lay down and put his head in the mouth of an alligator or a crocodile. I would never do any of those things, but anyway. Um, if those animals close their mouth, well, we say, well, what did you expect? That's what animals do, okay? That's, that's just their instinct. Uh, even though we can train them to not do that, they still live and act instinctively. We have instincts, but we also have the ability to not do that. So then, um, when we are enslaved to sin, we may instinctively sin because that's our nature. Now, we've been set free from that, and so we now possess the ability to act against our nature. Um, and of course, our nature is being changed by God, uh, but it's not yet completely changed. You know, we're waiting for that time to come. Uh, so, but this is very strong language. Uh, we know we, we expect to see change in the life of the, non, of the, of the new believer. Uh, we, no long, we, we expect him to no longer act in a certain way. We may even tell certain individuals, well, you're now a believer, that you're, you're expected to not do that. You know, we, we, don't, we no longer have to manipulate, you no longer have to strong arm, you no longer have to steal, you no longer have to do those things. And that's the idea. Um, so again, without God, not only are we slave to sins, we are slave to our fears, uh, and we are, we're helpless in all of this. And so there's liberation in Christ, um, is the idea. Uh, letter C, or number three, uh, this transference also means that we've been delivered or we've been transferred from being condemned uh, to forgiveness. Romans 8.1 says there's now therefore no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're no longer condemned. Christ has actually and literally 
paid the price for our sin. So there's no longer a price hanging over us. There's no punishment hanging over us. Um, sin deserves nothing but the condemnation of God. But again, because of Christ, because of the work of Christ, um, we discover God's love and forgiveness. We now know that we are no longer a condemned criminal. Uh, we will no longer stand before God's judgment seat in that sense. Um, we know that the way home, if you want to use that kind of analogy, is always open. And so uh, for those who have, you know, we know there's people who have all different kinds of a past that come to Christ. Um, and uh, it is incredible news for many individuals to hear that they're forgiven because they carry a lot of, a lot of guilt around. Um, it's always a, actually maybe even a scary thing. I don't know if you've ever met anyone and you probably have, sometimes you know it, sometimes you don't, met anyone who truly feels no guilt. Uh, there's some people who act like they don't feel guilt, but there are individuals who truly don't feel guilt. We call them sociopaths. They exist, um, and uh, that's, a, that's a rough kind of individual to deal with. You don't want to deal with individuals like that. But there are those who are very, very heavy they feel the weight of their sin. And now remember that when a person feels the weight of their sin as a non-believer, they don't always walk around hanging their head. They may walk around angry. Okay, sometimes anger and maybe even violence is an expression of the guilt the individual feels. Now, I'm not excusing what they're doing. That's not what we're doing when we say that. What we're saying is, is that there's different things that drive individuals to behave in certain ways. And there are those who... Um, because of the frustration they feel, the anger they feel, because of the weight, they just can't, they can't get rid of it. Um, it won't go away. They may not even always know what it is. They just know there's a heaviness that's there or something that's always on their mind. Individuals can act very violent or very, be very indifferent towards people. And so, you know, they are, they are there's this incredible sense of deliverance um, when they come to Christ. Um, there are, uh, a lot of times when we think about these types of things, we almost always think in terms of the culture we live in and, and how people kind of live life and what people do here. Um, but this is a worldwide thing. Um, give you an example, when it comes to serial killers, um, I know it's a weird topic, um, and I know you'll be shocked that I read a lot on serial killers, um, but um, serial killers in America can't hold a candle to serial killers in some of the other countries. And I'm not talking about a dictator who orders a village to be wiped out. Now that's wrong and, and whatever. I'm talking about an individual who kills another, another person. You know, if, we, if an individual in America kills five, six, seven people, you know, that's just, we think that's incredible. There's a few individuals who've killed around 20. There's supposedly a man who's, I don't know if he's died yet or not, supposedly a man that the police think might, responsive, might be responsible for 90, which is just phenomenal, a phenomenal number to think about. But there are people in other countries, such as Africa and South America, where there's a few individuals who've killed two, three hundred people, where they've murdered them for no other cause than just to do that. They, and I guess you could say they enjoy it. I don't know if that's the right word, um, whether they get a sense of satisfaction. I don't know what, what the deal is, but there's some individuals who've done some incredibly dark things uh, throughout the world. And there's stories of individuals like this coming to Christ. Um, and it's unreal. If you read the story of the man who wrote the song Amazing Grace, he was a slave trader. 
before he became a believer. And he carried guilt the rest of his life. He knew he was forgiven. He knew that. But he still had this, 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 this um, very powerful urge to do good with every facet of his being because of the evil he had done. So he wasn't trying to earn salvation because he knew that he couldn't. <clears throat> but he was so grateful for all that God had done and how God had changed him that that's how he lived his life. Um, and because and, he knew he was guilty of some really dark things. Um, so that's one of those things that comes along with this is that uh, we, we are no longer condemned and we are truly forgiven. Um, uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's, there's a book I'm getting ready to read that, that deals with forgiveness because um, there's some aspects of it that I'm interested in that I've not really done a lot of study on and part of that is the release some people feel like like there's a uh, uh, there's stories of individuals who are facing the death penalty for something now they're not believers uh, and one of the things that they're looking for is to hear from the living victims or whatever they've done to, to be forgiven it's a really big deal to them psychologically maybe even spiritually but psychologically to, to hear those words before they die what, what is that that's in a person? You know, we're all made in the image of God, and that image is marred by sin. But why is that so important? And I do think there's certain aspects of our lives as human beings, that being one of them, that is oftentimes kind of drowned out in the society we live in because there's so much distraction. There's not a whole lot of time to just think about things, just to think about life, to think about death, to think about consequences of what we've done. Um, we always want to be busy. Um, either doing something with our hands or Facebook or whatever. You know, it, it's, we've always been kind of, uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sure what the word is, not, not jumpy, but um, always kind of uh, fidgety, I guess you would say. And so having your phone makes it easier. You know, you can, like if you go to a restaurant um, if you, and you order foods, if, if the cook, if the kitchen's taking a long time, we can become impatient. Well, I can. Um, but you know what? If I'm looking at my phone, I don't notice the time. <laughs> you know? Oh, I've been here 30 minutes. You know, what's going on? <laughs> but anyway, uh, but the idea is, is that it takes us away from, from contemplating and meditating about things. And it's good to be able to get back to that. That's the kind of wondering that um, human beings used to do on a regular basis, regardless of their education. And it's a very healthy thing. So, that, but that aspect of that, uh, of that, I think, is important, helping us to really understand the deeper things of human beings. Um, and so this forgiveness is, for individuals who've grown up in church, and we've always heard about forgiveness, even though it's important, we don't always, we don't always recognize emotionally the weight change in the life of a person who recognizes they've been forgiven. Because we're so accustomed to that language. Uh, and we're so accustomed to even to that concept. But forgiveness is not a common concept in the world. Um, even in our society where they talk about forgiveness, there's this idea that forgiveness must be earned always. And of course we know that when it comes to many times, forgiveness can never be earned because whatever's done can never be undone. You can't be made up for. Um, so anyway, that's, just, that's a big deal uh, and a much bigger deal to some maybe than to others. Then letter D, or number four, um, this transference again is, in general, just from the power of Satan to the power of God. 
So we are, we are liberated from the grip of Satan. We, we are now, uh, we now have become a citizen of the kingdom of God. So in the same way that the earthly conqueror might transfer the citizen of a land, he is conquered to a new land. God, in his triumphant love, has transferred us from the realm of sin and darkness into the realm of holiness and light. And we are now, you know, citizens of his kingdom. And that is a great, fantastic thing um, that we possess as Christians. And so again, that is, that the knowledge of those things then goes a long way in helping us to develop and to have proper attitude towards living life and, and how we are to respond to life. How, you know, I, we don't have to become overwhelmed with sadness because these truths are very, you know, they're very real. They, they, they are to make a difference. Um, many of you have already experienced this. Um, you know, uh, we, all, we all kind of understand that as life is lived, people grow older and they die. We know that. And we, so we know as we get older, a time is coming when our parents will die and then later on, we will die. We know that. Um, and people get all kind of weird at times when it comes to talking about that or dealing with that. So for myself, so even though my parents are older, they're 85, um, you know, I, I'm very much aware that my mom, she now has advancing Alzheimer's. I, I'm very much aware that she's going to die. I know that. You know, death is, I don't know if it's this year or next year, but it, it's soon. I do know that she is changing a great deal. There's things that she cannot remember. You know, she, and in fact, there's a great deal she cannot remember. Her long-term memory, short, all those things are happening. And many people have seen that. You, know, you see that, we're saddened by that. Um, everything is very different. You know, when, you know, and I was around my mom uh, two days ago, me and my sisters and my dad were just talking about, just going through stories when we were younger and different things that we did together. And, you know, things that irritated us and kind of laughing about, you know, different experiences. And even though my mom was kind of tracking with the conversation, I'm not sure if she was actually remembering it like we were. I'm not sure if she was actually remembering much of it. Um, it's very different. Uh, you know, when you have someone that you love who's been through all these things with you and now they're there and they're not there. Um, and yet with that, there's no sense of despair because I, I know for a fact that my, both my parents, that they know the Lord. And I understand what that means. And I understand what's going to happen um, in the future. And I do know that I will see them again. And I know that this is not it. I understand that there may be a sense of loss and emptiness, which would be normal, when she passes and then my dad, whenever that may be. Um, and, I, and, I, and I know that will take place but at the same time, I recognize all that Christ has done and I, what I would say is the reality of that. So that then uh, brings with it a very different attitude. It doesn't mean that I won't grieve when they die. It doesn't mean that. Um, it doesn't mean that it's, a, that it's not a thing. It is a thing. Um, at the same time, there's very real comfort both now and in the future when that happens. It, it's very real. It's going to happen. This, the knowledge of this uh, is, a, is very important. Um, so it's a knowledge then that really is to affect us in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we think about life, in the way that we, in the decisions that we make, um, in the way that we deal with people, uh, the way that we treat people. Uh, so none, these things are never then just empty, and these things are never then say, well, you know, in other words, we may be thinking, well, I know that can really affect other people, but that, that doesn't really, 
that knowledge of these things is God intends for us to know all of these things. And all these things is used by the Spirit of God as he interacts within, within the inner man as we continue to grow and to mature. And it's, it, it will make a very big difference in us. Um, and so uh, we want to make sure that we, that we do recognize that um, as, we, as we continue on through life. So once again, uh, looking at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he repeats himself in a way uh, for emphasis, but he's, once, he's, he's giving us the full, a fuller understanding as he talks about what it is that, that uh, he's been praying for, for these believers, and what he wants them to have from God, and how he knows they will possess it, and, and what he understands that they possess now. So in Christ, we have redemption. So the kingdom of his beloved son that he mentions just before verse 14, now that refers to more than just the future millennial kingdom. I do believe it refers to that, uh, when Jesus rules on the earth for a thousand years. But the kingdom also refers to the general rule of God over all of creation. Remember, God is the king, period. Even Hebrew says, even though he's king, we do not yet see all things in subjection. So, we, so there's this waiting period. But that doesn't mean he's not the king. You know, there's this plan that, that God is following. So the kingdom then is also a present spiritual reality. Uh, in a real sense, the kingdom is a special relationship that we have in this age with God through Christ. So we, we do experience some kingdom-like things because of this relationship. I have access to God. God answers prayer. God is there for us. God will deliver us uh, from things. We talk about, as believers, you know, just, just the, uh, the, one of the words that we sometimes use jokingly, um, where let, let's say that uh, you go through an intersection, someone runs a stop sign, and they, and they hit you, but you're unscathed. I say, wow, what a coincidence. If it had been just a, maybe a second later, you know, I would have been really in bad shape. Well, we know it wasn't a coincidence. What we would say is God was looking out for you. God, we, we believe that God delivers in that sense. Um, and so the bottom line is, is that we have this relation with God. We are able to see and understand uh, those things. So we know that Christ is not yet ruling on the earth, but he is our king, and obviously we owe him our allegiance. Um, remember what Pilate said when he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it is as you say. You know, he didn't say, oh, no, I'm not. Uh, he said it was exactly as it so he So we know he reigns in eternity. He rules now over his church. One day he will return to rule on earth as the king of kings. And again... Uh, I am already a part of that kingdom and looking forward to the return of the king. He mentions redemption. Uh, redemption means simply to let one go free upon payment of a ransom price. Uh, those who are not redeemed are powerless to liberate themselves. That's, that's the, the picture that's being drawn with the word redeem. Um, uh, redemption was used in the secular Greek language as a technical term. Uh, for money that was paid to buy back or set prisoners of war uh, free. Sometimes uh, what would happen is you would, 
you would, let's say you would capture an army, and then you would tell the, the opposing king, um, we'll let these men return home for this much gold and this much silver. And so that's how you would enrich your kingdom, would be that way. Um, we, we often hear, as we've already mentioned, that that's the way slaves would be freed. Just so you know, there are a couple of organizations today that still do that. They raise money to purchase slaves to set them free. Um, the main area where that takes place is what we are accustomed to hearing, which is the, uh, um, the sex trade, where women or girls are bought or whatever. And so there's a price on their head that can be negotiated. And there's individuals who will go uh, to some of these places uh, if they have the right contacts, and they will pay money and they will free these women and either take them home or take them somewhere where they can hopefully start a life and, and begin uh, you know, to get their life back and, and start over again. So that kind of thing does happen. Uh, there are still a few places where there's real, what we, when I say real slavery, not that the, the, the sex trade is not real slavery because it is, but there's the, the normal kind of slavery where individuals are enslaved and, and do uh, manual labor. That does take place. And there's individuals who can be freed uh, from that. I know in the criminal world, among drug cartels and other types of gangs, like large gangs, people, you know, maybe things we, we think of mafia, there's individuals who are enslaved and they can be set free, all kinds of slavery that goes on. So that still happens to this day. Um, and so this redemption price is a very common concept among many of those individuals. So again, as a believer, we have been ransomed we have been bought, and we know, by the blood of Christ. Um, and so in that, we've been freed from the power of sin. Now remember, even though we can say that we were held captive by the devil, we need to remember, and most of you, probably, most of you may already be clear on this, but there are some people who get this mixed up. And some people are mixed up by thinking that when the price was paid, that the price was paid to the devil to set us free. And that's not the case. Right? The price wasn't paid to the devil. Yes, we've been taken captive by the devil, but we were enslaved to sin. And remember that the punishment that was hanging over our head is the punishment inflicted by God. The wages of sin is death. We, we, we owe that to him. So God paid that price. The price of justice was paid by him on our behalf. So he wasn't... He wasn't kowtowing to Satan and paying him uh, the ransom or the redemption money. That's not how that works. Uh, some people who have a little looser theology, sometimes there's confusion on that. So we want to make sure that that's clear. So you may, you may hear sometimes an individual say, oh yeah, you know, God paid the devil the ransom and set us free. Okay, time out. That's not what happened. Um, we've definitely been set free from the power of, of the devil, that is for sure. Um, but even our enslavement, we would say that we were enslaved to our sin nature. Uh, in fact, in the Bible, if you, if you look at it chronologically, what's going to happen in the future, it does end up proving that a person is enslaved to sin, even if the devil is bound. Because there's a time coming in the future when Satan will be bound for a thousand years. And he's bound during the millennial reign of Christ. Christ is ruling on the earth. At the end, uh, during, the, during the millennial reign of Christ, people will still die. The only ones dying are unbelievers. There will be unbelievers, uh, people who refuse to believe in Christ while Jesus is ruling on the earth, where he can be seen and the whole deal. I don't think it's that many, but I don't know. 
All and, and that's why it mentions in the Old Testament that when an individual dies at the age of 100, it will seem like a child. That's because people don't die during the millennial kingdom if you're a believer. But it will happen. And then when Satan is released uh, at the end of the thousand years, basically, it, you know, I'm kind of exaggerating, but he takes a few minutes and he gathers an army. This is it's phenomenal. He's able to do that. There's all these individuals enslaved to sin. Boy, he gets a free man. They have signed up for his army. And uh, they're going you know, to rebel against God. And in that final battle, basically, the Lord just goes, and they're, go and they're done. <laughs> There's no drawn out anything. It's just kind of the breath of God wipes them out. And uh, that's it. Uh, but that's the idea there and one that we need to kind of keep in our mind. So again, we've been redeemed, as the Bible says, not with silver or gold, but with the blood of Christ, with the blood of God's own Son, uh, which reveals how precious and important we are to God as those who are made in His image. We are free from the curse of the law of sin, and we have been released from bondage or from the bondage of sin into the freedom of God's grace. Again, as we've mentioned, this is in Christ. Uh, we, again, all of us who were once and for all time, uh, we were forever liberated. We have is in the present tense uh, here, meaning that this is our present and our continuous possession. Uh, that's what this is talking about. In whom we have redemption. I continually possess redemption. Uh, I do believe that it's, it's, it's not a... Uh, I think of the words. It's not a proof text, but I believe there's many phrases in the New Testament where this kind of wording really is important for those because there are individuals who believe that you can lose your salvation. Now, there are some who believe you can lose your salvation like several times in your life. Uh, usually they're on the charismatic side of things and they have a lot of issues with their theology. There are some individuals who believe that you can lose your salvation and they're actually very solid people. Um, if you know anyone who goes to a free will Baptist church, maybe a Nazarene church, Nazarene kind of depends on who the pastor is. Those individuals believe you can lose your salvation. They don't believe you can lose your salvation like you can lose a set of car keys. You know, they believe some very serious things have to take place over a long period of time before that happens. Yes, ma'am. Um, when you talk to them, basically what, like, like if we, when we encounter an individual who continues to live in sin, we would say, well, there's indication that person never knew Christ. They would say that individual, um, if they've walked for them, if you walk away from the Lord, if you renounce Christ, then they would say you've lost your salvation. Um, I've challenged a few of my friends who believe that uh, with Hebrews because Hebrews states that if you could lose your salvation, you can't be saved again. It doesn't say it quite like that, but when you study it, that's what it ends up indicating. Um, I did have one free will pastor that said to me, yeah, that's right. And I said, whoa, <laughs> we, got a, we got some more problems. Uh, but um, there, is, there is that. But here, what you have, the way this is phrased, and that's what, that's what I was getting at, what's important is this is written in such a way that in the Greek language, it is telling us that in whom we have and continue to have redemption. We have forgiveness of sins, and we continue to have forgiveness of sins. It is our present ongoing position that we have. And I think all of these different phrases like that throughout the New Testament continue to emphasize this idea that once you belong to Christ, you, you, there's no idea of you losing your salvation. That doesn't happen. 
um, you are secure in Christ, uh, regardless of the situations that we may find ourselves in. Um, so it's just one of those things I think that's kind of important, uh, just for us to recognize along the way, because there are some who, there are some individuals who really struggle with that. Uh, it really affects them in the way they live. They usually tend to be uh, morbidly introspective and um, are concerned about really, it's almost as if they believe they have to perform well to remain saved. So it's almost like, so it's very closely akin to earning salvation. So they, they may say they believe that we're saved by God's grace, but you have to do things to remain saved. And the Bible, I don't think, allows for that. Salvation in every aspect of it is all of God. From being saved to remaining saved, we are eternally secure in him. It's the work of God. And that's where our assurance is. Um, if our assurance was an hour doing good, I don't know about you, but I'm in trouble. Um, and that's just not a good thing. Um, but I'm, I, I, I don't think like that because I believe the scripture clearly teaches that I'm secure in Christ. Uh, he does not lose any. I'm in the grip of his hand, and that's, and that's settled. There are some who get nervous with that. We've, we've talked before about that. There are some, and that's what leads to either a form of legalism at times, or it leads to, in some cases, this idea of losing your salvation because people think that what we're saying is because you're secure, you just go out and sin, that matter. First of all, whoever said it didn't matter. It matters a great deal. Um, an individual who's being changed by Christ, that's not the way they're going to think. An individual who thinks that way, either, most likely, they're not saved and they don't understand God's grace and they don't understand salvation. And that's what we would think um, about that individual. We'll stop there um, because we'll take a little bit of time dealing with the word forgiveness uh, just to make sure we have a really good grasp of what he's talking about, and then we'll move on to verses uh, 15 and 16 um, there in, in, uh, in chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for, again, all that you've given us in Christ. We thank you, Father, for the, for the many aspects of our salvation and for all the things that we possess as believers that continue to encourage us that that we belong to you, that our future is secure in you, um, that we need not have any fear, that you're always with us, that you're always for us, uh, that your love for us remains steadfast, that your goodness never changes, uh, that your love is strong, um, and that, again, we are secure, and we thank you for that. We pray that we'll be able to live our lives in a way that reflects these truths. We pray also, Lord, you would give us the ability to explain these truths when necessary so that others may be as encouraged as we are to live the life that you've called us to live and once again to be able to enjoy this life that you've called us to live and that our joy in Christ may increase and remain full at all times. Father, we thank you for the marvelous gift of salvation and again, all that it entails. We ask now, Lord, that you would dismiss us with your grace, that you would watch over us and keep us safe. We pray, Lord, you would cause us to think often of these things. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.